There's gonna be a couple of interviews today, Ben. We wanna make sure that we both find the right fit. Business as usual is not really our motto, so we hope you have some fun here. This is the first time we're hiring senior interns, so some of our intern questions may not exactly fit your profile, but we're gonna go for it anyway, okay? Fire away. Okay, good. Where'd you go to school? I went to Northwestern. Hey, my brother went to Northwestern. Probably not at the same time. Probably not. He graduated in 2009. Class of 65. <laughs> wow. What was your major? Do you remember? And after Northwestern, you went on to... I went to work for Dex One. Okay, and they made... Phone books. I was in charge of overseeing the printing of the physical phone book. I did that for over 20 years. And before that, I was a VP of sales and advertising. So, do they still make phone books? I mean, doesn't everyone just Google numbers? Well, I believe they do, but before Google, that was how you got it. Oh, number. no, no, yeah, I, I, I get it. So 40 years at the phone book company, that is amazing, seriously. Okay, Benjamin, now I'm gonna ask you one of our more telling questions for all of our interns, so I want you to like, this is the one to really think about, okay, and, and take your time. Where do you see yourself in 10 years? When I'm 80. Yeah, sure, yeah, whatever. Um, wait. Did not realize you were 70. That's, uh, that question just doesn't work for you, does it? Should we just scratch that one and just move on? It's your call, Justin. Okay, that one's gone. You look great, by the way, so great. And you're clearly more than qualified for this job. You're actually, like, way overqualified. And we were so impressed. You had great interviews, great video. You nailed it, Ben. Congrats. You're an intern. Hey, I need Hi. you for two minutes uninterrupted. Okay. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the senior intern program? No. Really? We had a, we had a whole big conversation about it. We did? Okay, remind me, seniors in high school or college? No, 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 no. Seniors in life, older people. Hold on, what? I told you I felt like we needed to do an outreach program. You definitely seem to be liking the idea, so I set it in motion. It's gonna be great. Hold, please. You're hiring senior citizen interns? There's been a ton of research on this, and the results are actually incredible. I mean, imagine having an intern with a lifetime of experience as opposed to somebody who spent the last four years of their life playing beer pong. Do they eventually want jobs here? <laughs> Oh, darling, they're all retired. They, they just want the experience. And I would like one to work directly with you. Wait, Cameron, no. Please. First of all, I'm not great with older people. You know how I am with my parents. This could be... Why do I have to have one? Because you have to set the tone. Good morning, everyone. My name's Ashley Lentz. I'm one of the pastors here. If you couldn't tell from the children's moment and from that clip from the movie The Intern, we're talking about generation gaps this morning. Uh, we are in a sermon series called American Spirituality Concerning Trends and Reasons for Hope, taking a look this morning specifically at generation gaps. And as you look around this church, you might think, I don't really think that that's a problem. And you'd be correct. Hope is one of, uh, it's kind of the, an exception to the trend in America right now. We have booming generations around here. We have young people, we have elder people, we have everybody uh, of all ages involved in coming to things. It's really, really beautiful. That actually gives us an opportunity to show our friends, our family, our community what healthy spirituality looks like, what growth in your faith life and, and in a church looks like. But that is not the trend in America right now and hasn't been for a while. As we start off, I wanna show you just some brief statistics. I won't spend too much time here, but so you get a uh, broad idea of what's actually happen happening in the church in America. This is a study from Gallup. It was released in June, so just a few months ago. The title is Belief in God in US Dips to 81% a New Low. Um, 
81%, when I first saw this study come across my email, I thought, 81% of people in America believe in God? That seems pretty darn good. I thought, that's, that's more than 50. That's significantly more than 50, really. But historically, this number, this percentage, Gallup has polled people since 1945 asking them, do you believe in God in America? It has been over 90%, really high in some decades. 60s, 70s, it was 98% of people said, yes, I believe in God. That doesn't necessarily mean they came to church, but they believed in God. Uh, Gallup didn't poll people for a really long time, but they asked people again in 2011, do you believe in God? And the answer was still 92%. For decades and decades and decades, over 90% of people in America said, yes, I believe in God. Just in the last five or so years, this number has dipped dramatically. We're looking at 81% as of June of this year. That's a really, really big drop, and it happened very, very quickly. As we look at the world around us, that might not be surprising to you. What's sad is that this is continuing to go downward. Another study released by Pew Research Center um, in December of this past year, December of 2021, so it's not quite a year old. Um, this is part of a larger study, but this piece of it says, in U.S., roughly three in 10 adults now religiously unaffiliated. Uh, Gallup was asking people very broadly, do you believe in God? Pew is asking people about their religious affiliation, so a little bit more specific. In 2007, 78% of people said, I'm a Christian. As of December of this past year, 63% of people said they were a Christian. The more concerning trend is this one here in the middle. In 2007, 16% of people identified as no religion. As of December of this last year, 29% identify as no religion. We call this group the nuns, not the habit-wearing, sister act-performing Catholic church nuns. We call them nuns as in no affiliation. The article um, defines them as people who describe themselves as atheists, agnostics, or nothing in particular when asked about their religious identity. Uh, in 2007, Christians outnumbered nuns five to one. As of this last year, Christians outnumber nuns two to one. This group is greatly increasing. As we look at the changes specifically, um, in the Gallup study, they, they kind of categorized where the biggest changes were based on demographic, political association, age range, uh, gender, the biggest drop in people who believe in God. The greatest growing nuns in our society are young people, ages 18 to 29. There's one more group I want to introduce you to. They're called the duns. Nuns and duns are the group that is creating this generation gap, this large drop uh, in, in faith that we see in America. The duns are people who are disillusioned with the church, whether because they are dissatisfied with the structure, social message, or politics of the institutional church, they have decided they are better off without organized religion. Duns are people who still perhaps believe in God, but they're done with the church. They've been hurt by a church or people who are church people, if you will. They say, it's not really for me anymore. I can't answer my questions. I'm better off on my own. What a sad statistic that is. The church has messed up in a lot of ways. We are not perfect. But we are a community. We get to grow and learn together. We're here to support one another. We're two or more gathered. Jesus says the spirit is present. 
We get to encounter God together. And as a church, as people who are part of a church that is different than these statistics, I want us to take that as an opportunity. Our nation is absolutely in a crisis of faith. You get to be the change in our world. You know Jesus. I talk about the nuns and the duns because I imagine you know people like this. I imagine there are people in your life, friends, loved ones, uh, people in your neighborhood who identify in one of those categories. I have friends and family members in both of those categories. I know a lot of duns, people who've been part of church and are like, it is not for me anymore. We talk a lot about church hopping. Like, we're just checking out this church or that church. We're looking for something that fits perfectly, and it's not going to exist. We're going to talk about growing and knowledge here in just a minute. But I want you to know that we have an opportunity to reach these people. We're not inviting them to, to come and know Jesus better, have head knowledge of Jesus better. We're inviting them into a relationship that will change their life. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time together is your relationship with Jesus, because it starts with your relationship with Jesus, not what you know about Jesus, your relationship with him. Martin Luther stood at a critical point in history where he was about to be a done. Martin Luther was a Catholic priest who saw a lot of stuff in the church he did not agree with. There were problems, there were political messages, there were things that were not right. And rather than tossing up his hands and saying, I'm done, this is not biblical, this is not working for me, he nailed 95 theses to a door in Wittenberg, Germany, and said, let's change. Let's grow. And it brought about the Protestant Reformation. How's your faith growing? Is it changing? It doesn't have to fall in line perfectly with the church that you are a part of. It has to fall in line with who you know Jesus to be, your relationship with Jesus. Over the last couple of weeks, you've heard Pastor Scott and Emily preach on some of the core values at Hope. Um, I will unapologetically put some of those core values in front of you today. One of those that you've heard preached is following Jesus is a growing experience. How is your faith journey growing? We have so many opportunities for you to grow. I want you to get plugged in this fall. But more than that, I want your journey to be one of personal, relational growth. Here's what I mean. When I talk to people who want to grow in their relationship with Jesus, they start here and then they say, I need more information. I want to sign up for all the Bible studies. I want a textbook. Um, I, I want to have all these meetings. I want to know about Jesus. That is not necessarily a bad thing. This often leads to questions. The more that we learn about Jesus, the more we don't know about Jesus. I promise you. The more you learn, the more questions we have, the more uncertainty there is. Uh, a few weeks ago, Pastor Scott preached on living in the tension and how certainty is just not part of our faith. It would be great if we could be certain about everything, but we have to leave room for the mystery, the grandness of God. So when we reach this point, we've gathered knowledge, we've asked our questions. Often, what we see in the none and done categories is people who've done this and say, it's not for me. It doesn't answer my questions. I can't be certain about it, therefore it's not, I'm not really going to spend time being a Christian or believing in God or even attending church. It's I'm none or done. What this can do, though, is propel you back into growth. Questions are natural, and mystery is really, really good. We are finite beings who are trying to understand an infinite God. It's really not possible. 
When I was asking Pastor Scott, I walked into his office on Wednesday or Thursday, and I said, can I glean some knowledge from you? I said, do you know what I'm talking about when I say growth and knowledge and questions? And he's like, yeah. He said, I call it order, disorder, reorder. And I was like, oh, that's better than mine. (laughs) This is very, very biblical, order, disorder, reorder. Uh, It's the story of the Old Testament through and through. It's the story of creation. I think about Adam and Eve. The world was perfect when Adam and Eve were put into the Garden of Eden. Sin entered the world and there was disorder, and God promises to bring about reorder. It's the story of the prophets and the kings in the Old Testament. They prophesy or rule in times of order about disorder or vice versa, and they prophesy about reorder. Is your faith journey ordered or disordered? Is your life ordered or disordered? We go in seasons between these two, and it's really easy to toss up our hands and say, I'm done. I don't need reorder, I just don't need God. I'm gonna control the stuff. I'm gonna figure things out for myself. I'm gonna be certain about what I can be certain about. And this is the growing gap that we see in our world. The church is not perfect, and I promise you we cannot answer all of your questions. There's supposed to be room for mystery, but God absolutely promises to bring about reorder. We are a culture that loves knowledge. We love knowledge gathering and questions. Uh, The more uh, letters you have after your name, that's a status thing. I'm super guilty of loving knowledge. I'm a sponge. I love learning. Someday, I would love to have a PhD, not for the sake of the letters after my name, but because there's a selfish part of me that thinks if I get a PhD in New Testament studies and can be a professor, my relationship with God will be that much better. That is not true. Knowledge does not equal a better relationship with God. It is our personal experience with Jesus that equals a deeper relationship with him. I was reading about this this week. Uh, There is a gal named Kirsten Sanders. She wrote in Christianity Today about this. She says the process, the process of growing and questioning, of digging into our faith, it should dismantle certainty where it is not proper. But that does not mean faith will be dismantled. Christian belief is not vested in the intellectual ability of the Christian, but in the steadfastness of God. That's really deep. I love this last sentence. Christian belief is not vested in the intellectual ability of the Christian, but in the steadfastness of God. How you encounter God, your personal relationship with him, does not depend on you at all. It does not depend on your knowledge of him. It is entirely dependent on him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we could take every class in the world, be part of every Bible study in the world, and it still wouldn't be good enough? We would still be seeking and searching. It's because, number one, we should dismantle certainty. But also, our faith is not about how I know God, head knowledge, know God. It's about how I experience my personal relationship with him. And as I was talking to Pastor Scott about this, he said, well, Ashley, that's biblical. Knowledge in the Bible is about relationship. He's really wise, you guys. He's really wise. He, did you know that he grew up as my pastor? Like, I grew up at Hope, sitting here, learning from him. He's great. But it's true. Knowledge in the Bible is relational and experiential. Here's what I mean by this. 
in Genesis 4, chapter 1, um, Adam and Eve conceive Cain. And the Bible says that Adam knew Eve and they had Cain. That Hebrew word know, Adam knew Eve, is yada. It means to know. It is not head knowledge, no. It is relationally know. Experience. Be so personally connected. Adam knew Eve and they had Cain. I've been reading through the Gospel of John in the last few weeks. John chapter 1 uh, begins with this beautiful prologue uh, to the Gospel. And John writes about Jesus. He says, He came into the very world he created, but the world did not recognize him. That Greek word recognize, the world did not know him, did not recognize him. It's gnosko. And it means the world did not experience him. The world was not in personal relationship with him. There's a different Greek word for head knowledge. That's not what John uses. He uses the relational knowing word. And fast forward to John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Again, it's not the Greek word for head knowledge. It's gnosko. I relationally know my sheep and they are in relationship with me. We personally, experientially know one another. Knowledge is not a bad thing but it should propel you into reorder. It should propel you into deeper personal relationship with God. Kirsten Sanders sums up her article in Christianity Today like this. Next slide, if you would, please. Thank you. She says, many Christians have learned to put knowledge before love, along with the idea that we must understand God before we can love him. But putting love before certainty allows us to know that we are loving God and not simply our own intellectual beliefs. We live in a world that highly values head knowledge. That is not a bad thing. But when it comes to your personal relationship with God, do not let head knowledge get in the way of loving him, of actually being in relationship with him. Don't hear me say don't sign up for fall classes. I absolutely want you to sign up for fall classes. Knowledge is empowering. It will help you grow in your relationship. What I want you to hear me saying is your personal experience with him is how you're going to grow. And as we step into the generation gap of people not believing in God and not needing the church, what is going to speak far louder than your knowledge of the Bible or your knowledge of hope is your personal relationship with him. If people see you and they say, you go to church, I have some questions about Jesus, certainly spend some time talking to them. But way deeper than that, you can give them all the knowledge in the world. You need to invite them to experience him, not to experience hope, to come in and have a relationship with him. We are rebuilding our prayer ministry here at Hope Ankeny. It's been uh, on my to-do list for a very long time to just breathe new life into that ministry. And uh, we have a staff person, Tiffany Durham, who is really passionate about prayer, and she has some time to do that this fall. One of the best ways you can revive or reorder your personal relationship with Jesus is to pray. I invite you all to come to prayer group. Uh, it launches Thursday. September 15th at 5.30, you don't have to come and like be a prayer person. 
you have to come and be willing to talk to other people. It's a social gathering, super low bar commitment. Come for five minutes if you want. Just get to know other people. Start building relationships. When we build relationships in community centered around Jesus, it will help us know him better. In the movie, The Intern, Robert De Niro is obviously the intern, but comes with a wealth of corporate knowledge. And I found it really interesting as I watched this movie this week, which by the way, it's a really cute movie. You should all watch it. I found it interesting that throughout the whole movie, he never gives advice to Anne Hathaway about how to run a company. He certainly knows. He has head knowledge of how to do that. But as she is building this company, it is far exceeding what she ever thought it would be. And throughout the movie, she is pressured to hire a CEO because they're going to have more head knowledge about how to run a company. And at a critical moment in the movie, in, in her journey, she decides she should probably hire a CEO. Her marriage is falling apart. She doesn't really have time to invest in things that she wants. And so she thinks that that will be the answer. But Robert De Niro has has built a relationship with her. He hasn't shared his head knowledge throughout the whole movie. And at this point in time, she needs that relationship. Watch as they talk about this. Hi. Wow. You and Fiona, huh? Who knew? She's a great gal. She surprised me last night. She brought over dinner. It's brand new. Congratulations. I love her. So I was ready kind of early this morning, since about four, and Matt and Paige left an hour ago for a field trip, so I thought I'd come by. I hope that's okay. Yeah. I just wanted to say I slept on it. I haven't called Townsend yet, but I still feel like it's the right thing to do. Well... I didn't sleep so well myself. Over this? You remember the day I drove you to the warehouse? You were giving me the wrong directions and all that? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Okay, well, I stood in the back and I watched you show the workers how to fold and box the clothes. I knew then that was why ATF was a success. No one else is ever gonna have that kind of commitment to your company, Jules. To me, it's pretty simple. About the fit needs you, and if you don't mind me saying, you need it. Someone may come in with more experience than you, but they're never gonna know what you know. I never had anything like this in my life. Not many people do. This big, beautiful, exciting thing that you created. It's a dream, isn't it? And you're gonna give that up in the hopes that your husband will stop having an affair? I don't see how that adds up. You should feel nothing but great about what you've done. And I'd hate to see you let anyone take that away from you. I guess you came over here because you wanted to hear some of this. Yes. And maybe also because you're my... Intern. Well, I was gonna say intern slash best friend. There's no need to get all sentimental about it, even though we could potentially be buried together. Can't get closer than that. <laughs> it's moments like this when you need someone you know you can count on. So thank you. It's moments like this when you need someone you can count on. Who are the people you can count on? 
Who are the people who fall into the none and done category in your life? Are you someone that they can count on? We get to do this in community. We get to grow together. We get to ask questions. In the article I referenced from Kirsten Sanders, she talks about the importance of walking through our disorder, reorder journey with people we can trust, people we can count on, not to tell us what to believe, but to point us back to Jesus, to critically think together and pray together. On the screen, you see a picture of my small group. Uh, we have, I was just doing this math standing over there. We've had five babies. Ben and Zoe are about to have a baby in about a month and a half. Um, we've had five babies in two years. So my small group is in a very big season of transition. So in full disclosure, we haven't actually done a study together in like two years. Yeah, no one's perfect. But these are people that I can count on. We get to do life together. We talk all the time. We get to grow together. You sit in a room full of people who love Jesus. They might not agree with you in every belief that you have, but you all love Jesus, and you're all pretty cool people. Get to know the people around you. You probably sit in about the same spot every weekend. Get to know the people around you. Plug in. Who are the people you can count on? We are here for you. <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, Pastor Scott asked our vision team, when's the time that you grew in your faith? And I immediately knew the answer. That answer was not, oh, when I was going through seminary school. Certainly I grew in my faith, duh. But that was head knowledge growth. And it never even occurred to me that that could have been an answer to that question. <clears throat> A time when I grew in my faith drastically was when my faith was challenged. It was a season of disorder. I was part of a very different church in college. There wasn't hope in Iowa City yet. So I was part of a very different church in college. They had very different beliefs. They told me very different things than what I grew up hearing and believing. I had to find out for myself who I was, who God said I was. I relied on trusted mentors. I talked to Pastor Scott. I had people in my life that I could count on. And deeper than that, I spent a lot of time hanging out with Jesus. I had to know what he was telling me. Not what the world wanted to tell me, not what a specific church wanted to tell me, who Jesus was calling me to be. Who are the people you can count on and are you growing? Are you bringing reorder from your disorder? There will always be seasons like that. It's, it's part of growing. As we step into generation gaps, I hope that you invite people to come and see. Not to come and see hope, not to come and see what we do, but to come and personally grow with Jesus. Invite them to a Bible study, but rather than just talk about head knowledge, <laughs> invite them to pray, invite them to be quiet with God. You could do it together. Invite them into that experiential relationship, that, that deep knowing. As we wrap up, there's one more core value I wanna share with you. I think all of our core values at Hope are really fantastic, but this one holds a special place in my heart. Two reasons. Number one, well, here's the core value. We worship God, not tradition. Reason number one, I love this core value so much, is that I grew up in a traditional Lutheran church. Before we came to Hope, um, my mom grew up in that church, my grandparents grew up in that church. It was a beautiful Lutheran church. 
And there is a beautiful place for tradition. It's not all bad. I miss liturgy sometimes. I really miss singing out of hymnals sometimes. Tradition can be very, very beautiful. But I like how this is worded, we worship God, not tradition. When you invite people to come and see, you're not, again, you're not inviting them to come and see hope or the way that we do things, our tradition, if you will. You are inviting them to worship God. That's the second thing I love about this core value. It's the word worship. We could have put a couple different words there. We love God, not tradition. We, whatever, fill it in. But we, they picked we worship God. The Greek word for worship is proskuneo. And the root of that word means to fall on your knees in reverence. It means to kiss someone's hand. It is a physical, embodied experience. We worship God. We physically experience God. How is your physical experience of God these days? We call our weekend services worship services. From the time that you walk in the front door, I hope that it feels worshipful, that you physically experience God when someone smiles at you and says hi, or you go get a coffee at the cafe. Everything we do in life actually should be worshipful. Uh, We were on vacation in Colorado uh, about a month ago. Is that a month ago? Man, August went by fast. It's already September, folks. Happy Labor Day, by the way. Um, We were on vacation in Colorado. I love hiking mountains. I got to tell you this story fast uh, because I didn't say this in the other two, and I'm pressing on time. Anyway, we were hiking mountains in Colorado. I love hiking. I'm the leader of the hiking pack because when I hike, I put my head down and I just go. It is a worshipful experience for me. I hang out in God's creation. There is no distraction. I hike up mountains. It is beautiful. I'm exercising. I feel great about myself. Tyler and I were able to go on a hike, just the two of us. We left Paxton with grandma and grandpa. And we got like halfway up a mountain. And I looked at Tyler and I said, there is something wrong with me. And he said, what? And I said, I'm not worshiping. I said, this is not worshipful. I'm thinking about all the other stuff in life. And that has never happened to me hiking up a mountain before. I was lacking a physical experience, the embodiment of hanging out with God in God's creation. Do you know what was distracting me? All the stuff of the world, worry, things I shouldn't have been caring about, the emails sitting in my inbox, whether Paxton was being taken care of. Of course he was being taken care of, right? He was with his grandparents. What is distracting you from a physical, embodied experience of God We are called to be worshipful beings. It is very important. It will help you grow. It will bring reorder from disorder. I told you I've been reading through the Gospel of John, and one of my favorite uh, Bible stories is the woman at the well in John chapter 4. We know this story really well. We talk about it often. There's a woman at a well. Jesus encounters her. He offers her living water. He says, go and get your husband, and she says, I don't have one. He says, I know. You've had five. And that's about where we end the story. She goes and tells her, her, her community. They start to believe. She's an evangelist. It's really cool. But we don't usually read some of the verses kind of in the middle here. I'm going to pick up in John chapter 4, verse 19, if you have your Bibles or Bible apps. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship well, we Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, 
The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Did you hear the word worship repeated like a whole bunch of times in those verses? When we see repeated words in scripture, they're important. I don't know how I missed this before. I was reading this like a couple days ago, and I was like, worship, 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 worship. That seems really important. It is. Jesus is telling her, it doesn't matter where you're doing this. You don't need to go to Jerusalem. And he also says, Samaritans don't know that much about God. And Jews do. And he essentially says that head knowledge isn't important. For God is spirit, so those who worship, those who encounter him, physically experience him, we worship in spirit and in truth. I want you to experience that. I want you to know that your personal faith is not dependent on what you head knowledge know. It's dependent on your experience of God. And really that's up to him and for you to spend time with him. All of this brings us back to Psalm 100. It's the psalm that you heard read at the beginning of this worship service. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Worship the Lord with gladness. Experience him with gladness. Acknowledge the Greek translation of this Hebrew word is gnosko. Physically know, relationally know that the Lord is God. Leave room for mystery. Dismantle certainty where you need to. Rely on his steadfastness. This psalm ends, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. God promises to be faithful as we step into a generation gap. We get to be faithful too in how we live out our personal experience of Jesus each and every day. There is no more tangible way to actually encounter God than in the sacraments. Jesus promises to encounter us in the water of baptism. He also promises to encounter us in the bread and the juice and wine of Holy Communion. Do not take that experience for granted. It is totally miraculous. How does Jesus encounter us in the bread and the wine? That is left up to uh, mystery. It is totally miraculous. I cannot explain that to you in certain terms. I can just tell you I know he's there. He promises to be there. He promises to encounter you. I was doing hospital visits this week. Um, Pastors at Hope, we rotate hospital visits. And honestly, when hospital visits show up on my calendar, I'm kind of like, oh, I got to carve out time to do hospital visits. It's always the most rewarding thing in the world. I stepped into the room of a gentleman and his wife was there and he had had a kidney transplant about a year and a half ago and was struggling with some pneumonia. So they were going to be there a while. And they said, we haven't been to church in like almost two years because of COVID and his kidney transplant and health complications. We just can't be out in groups. 
we had a lovely conversation and uh, we got to hang out in community together. And at the end, they said, hey, I brought communion. I had the little to-go cups. I said, do you guys want communion? And they started to cry. This is a moment that we get to hang out in community. We get to come forward with our brothers and sisters in Christ and actually encounter our living God. Don't take it for granted. It is totally miraculous. You all step forward to receive a miracle in this moment. Let it be a moment that leads to reorder in your life. I pray you would all encounter God as we come forward.